24. A verse we learned in Bible college didn't fully understand the verse at that point, but it's a powerful verse. Proverbs chapter 24. And look with me at verse 11, beginning. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that poundeth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? God is saying, if you see someone's about to perish and you do nothing, they were your responsibility. Their blood is not in your hands. Would you bow and read in prayer, please? Father, thank you for this awesome church and such excitement here and such a zeal to serve the Lord. What a blessed place this is. We ask you to continue to advance and continue to protect this church, this ministry. Lord God, tonight I would ask again that you'd fill me with your power, with your spirit. Take this simple message, Lord God, and speak to hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to bring up our image on the screen here, if we may, and we'll move into the message. Okay. And we're moving on. You, let me ask you, do you agree with this statement? We'll get it up here. Uh-huh. Good people go to heaven, and bad people go to hell. Is that true? And yet so many religions around the world teach that, don't they? You earn your salvation by your good works. That is not at all what the, God, what, what the Bible teaches. And I'm not giving this. People trust in their religion. People trust in their good deeds. People trust in, I'm going to see if I get a little closer. This worked perfectly yesterday. You know how that goes, don't you? Okay. Mm-mm. People trust in their sincerity. People trust in their baptism. People trust in their honesty. People trust in their church. But none of those are God's way to, he- to heaven, God's way to salvation. What should we trust in? Well, read some verses with me from the Word of God, if you would, okay? Our first verse together. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What is God's way of salvation? Is faith. Read the next verse together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. What does a person do to be saved? Believe in him. What is that called? That's called faith. Another verse together. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Acts sixteen thirty one. Again, what does a person do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. One more verse together. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Over and over again, the Bible tells us salvation is by faith. We do not earn our salvation. We don't merit our salvation. It's a free gift. If you're here tonight, you've never been saved, you've never received Jesus. Let me take just a moment and briefly, quickly show you the plan of salvation. We use the ABC. I heard a man one night say, getting saved is as simple as ABC. I thought about that. I thought we could take those three letters, ABC, let them stand for three things from God's word that a person needs to know and believe to be saved. A would stand for the word admit. Say it with me. Admit that you are a sinner. Again, admit that you are a sinner. We all sin against God, don't we? And that's why we need a Savior. Romans 3.23 is a verse you probably know. Say the verse with me, please. Together. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. What's the second word in the verse? And who would that include? Make it personal. Me. We're sinners, aren't we? 
A stands for all. B stands for admit. B stands for the word believe. Say it with me. Believe that Jesus died for you. Again, believe that Jesus died for you. Jesus Christ is the creator. He's God Almighty. He left heaven and came to earth for one purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's you and me. He went to the cross of Calvary, willingly took our sins, died in our place, shed his blood to pay for our sins, and rose again the third day. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I love the verse, Romans 5 eight. Say the verse with me. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 eight. So again, the B, believe that Jesus died for you. C stands for the word call. Say it with me, if you would. Call on Jesus to save you. Again, call on Jesus to save you. A very special promise in our Bible, Romans 10 and verse 13. You can trust a promise in your Bible, can't you? It's a promise from God. Here's a special promise. Say it with me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. What is the second word in the promise? And who is that? That's not just the chosen few. That's every one of us. If you're a living, breathing human being, you are whosoever. And this promise is for you. So again, if you're here tonight, you never received Jesus. It's as simple as ABC. Hey, admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says repent. Ask God to turn you from your sin. Ask for his forgiveness. B, believe that Jesus loved you and died on the cross. Rose again the third day. If you believe that, say amen. amen. He did it for us. C, just call on Jesus. The promise is there. And he will save you. Back in 1872... A young man was born in the land of Scotland. His name was John Harper. What was his name? John Harper. Now, John grew up in a Christian home. But for some reason, he did not get saved until he was 17 years old. But when he got saved, he had a heart for souls. He began to stand on the street corner as a teenager and witness the people walking by and just try to, try to stop them and share the gospel. He did that for a, a number of a period of time. In time, he was married. And when he was only 19 years old, he became the pastor of a little church of about 25 people. Within just a few years, he had grown to well over 500 people, apparently, even though he was very young, a very effective pastor. In time, he was married. One day, his wife came to us and said, Sweetheart, when our baby is born, if it's a little girl, can we name her Annie and call her Nana for short? John said, Well, it's fine with me. So, for some reason, they named her Annie, but called her, called her Nana. Sadly, though, after she was born, her mother died, leaving John to raise that little girl by himself. And he did. He taught her how to be saved, taught her how to serve the Lord, and just poured his heart in that little girl. When she was six years old, he came to her one day. He said, sweetheart, we're going to America again. Only this time, you'll go with me. A church in Chicago had invited him to come and have a second revival service, one that was previous a few years. had seen many hundreds of people get saved. John showed up to Nanny. He said, we're going to America. You'll go with me. Sweetheart, you're going to love America. Well, John had business to take care of, so he took care of business for about a week, and then went down and bought a ticket on the largest ship in the world, a brand new ship known as the RMS Titanic. The story I'll tell you tonight is a true story from history. It shows what one person can do if you really care. John and his daughter did not get a first-class ticket. They went second-class. First-class ticket for six days cost $4,350, and those were $1912. Believe me, they did not go first-class. This is the largest ship in the world, 882 and a half feet long. A displacement of over 66,000 tons. The men that designed the ship and built the ship put a double steel hull, a double steel bottom of the ship. They said if the ship is ever in some kind of a collision, something does penetrate the hull. Well, nothing penetrates two holes. Then they divide the hull into 16 watertight compartments. They said if the ship is ever in a collision, and somehow that hull is penetrated, 
All the captain has to do is flip an electric switch, watertight doors will close, and the ship simply will never sink. They called it the unsinkable ship. It was set on Wednesday, April 10, 1912, with 2,207 people on board. For five days, it was a fantastic voyage. People swam in the swimming pool, the only ship in the world that had a swimming pool. Played tennis in the tennis courts, exercised in the gymnasium. For five days, it was a fantastic voyage. The very first afternoon, there was a man on board by the name of Bruce Ismay. What was his name? Bruce Ismay was the director of the White Star Line, the company that owned the Titanic. The very first afternoon of the, of the voyage, he found Captain Smith. He said, Captain, I want us to run the Titanic full speed ahead. If we can make New York Harbor a day, a day early, the headlines would go around the world, and that would help the White Star Line. Captain Smith was the best sea captain in the world, perhaps. Edward J. Smith, 38 years of, of history on ships. He looked at Mr. Mr. Ismay. He said, Captain, Mr. Ismay, uh, that's not safe. We need to break the, break the engines in properly, and we can't do it quickly. Mr. Ismay said, Captain, you work for me. You do what I say. And so he forced the captain into kind of an unsafe mode. Sunday night was a beautiful, beautiful sunset. John told Nana, sweetheart, tomorrow morning will be absolutely beautiful. What he didn't know, he didn't know was coming. Six times during the afternoon, during the evening, the radio operator, Jack Phillips, had brought radio messages to the bridge. All six times the radio messages were basically the same. Slow down. There are icebergs ahead of your shipping lane. For safety's sake, slow down. And all three times, we know that Captain Smith saw them at least three times, possibly four. But every time he just crumpled the message and said, just get on my face. Leave me alone. And about 20 minutes before midnight, the lookout, Frederick Fleet, saw a huge, huge iceberg directly in the path of Titanic. Right away, he rang the emergency bell three times to signal for danger. A voice came over the telephone and said, yes, what did you see? And Mr. Mr. Phillips said, or Mr. Fleet rather, said, sir, there's, dice, there's icebergs dead ahead. The voice on the telephone very casually said, well, thank you. Click. Mr. Fleet watched at the crew's desk as the Titanic sailed straight toward that iceberg. And then slowly, 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 unbelievably slowly began to turn to port, began to turn to the left. He watched it go by on the starboard side, and he said, that was close. What he did not see, down below the waterline, the ship did strike the iceberg. And the iceberg ripped right through that double steel hull. Tons and tons of seawater began to pour in, the, pour in the bottom of that huge ship. Up on the bridge, Captain Smith knew that something was wrong. He called, the officers, he called Thomas Andrews to the bridge. Thomas Andrews was known as the ship's builder. He was actually the man that drew the plans for the Titanic. He knew more about that giant ship than anybody else in the entire world. They called him the bridge. Captain Smith says, Sir, I want you to go down and inspect the damage. I'll trust your report. Matter of fact, I'll go with you. Let's do this together. Those two men began to go from deck to deck, looking where the water levels were. And in just a few minutes, Mr. Andrews turned to the captain and said, Sir, I don't know how to say this, except just to say it. We are actually sinking. Captain Smith said, that can't be serious. You can't be serious. This is the unsinkable ship. Mr. Andrews said, sir, that's not really true. We designed this ship. You can flood any five of the 16 compartments, and we will float indefinitely. Fine, sir. As you and I just saw in the last couple of minutes, it's penetrated number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. You saw water going with the bulkhead to number six and number seven. It's a domino effect. We are going down, and there is no stopping it. Mr. Andrews said, well, what? Or Captain said, what do we do, sir? He said, there's nothing we can do. It's going down. The captain hurried back to the bridge and got the officers. He said, prepare to abandon his ship. Believe it or not, we are actually sinking. Officers began to go from cabin to cabin, waking passengers. Get up quickly, please. Bring your life preserver. Come to the boat deck. We have a minor emergency. And in just a few minutes, hundreds and hundreds of passengers warming up to the boat decks. First class only. Second class. Third class. Sorry. You were on your own. In just a few minutes, hundreds and hundreds of passengers were up on the boat decks, prepared to get the lifeboats. 
The officers are begging people to get in. And passengers would look at the deck of the huge ship they were standing on, turn those little lifeboats and look, and many passengers said, no thanks, we'll stay with the ship. The officers begged people, and still people would not get in. John Harper took me into lifeboat 11. He said, sweetheart, I'm going to put you in a lifeboat and you can go to safety, but you have to obey daddy. It's going to be hard to do this, but you have to obey daddy. I'll put you in the lifeboat. You have to stay here with these other ladies and, and you can go to safety. She began to cry and say, no, daddy, no, daddy, daddy, please come with me. Daddy, why can't you come with me? Daddy, please, please come with me. Why can't you come? John said, sweetheart, tonight a lot of these people on the ship are going to die. The ship is going down. And if they die without Jesus, they're lost forever. Sweetheart, I just believe that God wants me to stay here and help some of these people get saved. John hugged that dear little girl. Then knowing he wouldn't see her again for decades and decades until she got to heaven, he put her in lifeboat 11 with a bunch of ladies and hugged her one more time and said goodbye. Then John simply began to walk up and down the deck, that sinking ship, sharing the gospel as quickly as he could. Some people listened, bowed their heads right there in his presence and asked the Lord to be their Savior. Other people rushed him off. Some people cursed him. But John stayed there witnessing, witnessing, witnessing. In time, the stern of the ship very slowly rose from the water and began to point toward the sky. Hundreds and hundreds of passengers are still aboard that ship. One of the ladies in the, in the lifeboat asked Nana, said, Sweetheart, where's your mommy and daddy? She said, Well, mommy's in heaven already, and daddy's still on the ship. And that lady hugged her and said, Oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. In time, the stern of the ship pointed straight up to the sky, completely perpendicular. And then slowly, slowly, unbelievably slowly began to slide beneath the water. John Harper literally took a step, a giant step into the water. And as he went into the freezing, freezing waters, he was surrounded by about 1,500 other people who also went in the waters at the very same time. The water that night was 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Water that cold would typically freeze a man to death in less than 15 minutes. If you were to plunge your entire body into water that cold without the protection of a wetsuit, it is so unbearably painful you can hardly even draw a breath. And John was surrounded by 1,500 other people that are screaming and crying and begging for help, and that night there was no help. John began to swim from passenger to passenger, just briefly, succinctly as he could, sharing the gospel. Some people blew him off, didn't want to see it. Some people bowed their heads right there and got saved. Other people cursed him, didn't want to hear it. John approached one man who was struggling in the water. His name was George Cavell. What was the man's name? As George saw John approaching, he began to curse John. He said, leave me alone, mister. I know who you are. I know about your record. You're it to God. Leave me alone. And he cursed John. John says, sir, if you're not saved, then you need this more than I do. And he actually took up his life preserver and gave it to George because he knew that George was not saved. And then he turned and swam away. In just a short little period of time, though, the action of the currents brought those two men face to face a second time. George had a change of heart. He bowed his head right there in John's presence and asked the Lord to be his Savior. We would estimate that John had probably been in the water for nearly 15 minutes at that point. And just moments after leading George to the Lord, John simply slipped beneath the water and he was gone. His body was never found. The very next moment, though, John Harper was in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Not because he was a preacher. That has nothing to do with it. John is in heaven tonight, but not because he was a good man, a religious man, or unselfish man. John Harper is in heaven tonight because when he was 17 years old, he put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is God's way of salvation. In time, maybe two hours later, when the lifeboats approached, John and three other men who were still alive in the water began to cry for help. Let me, I'm sorry, the 200, the two years later, two hours later, that's, I'm ahead of myself in the story. Okay, that's when the rescue boat came. But John was there in the water with three other men for about 15 minutes. A lifeboat came and picked him from the water. 
And just moments after they were in the, in the boat, one of the men died right there, so they rescued three. And as I started mentioning, two hours later, another ship named the Carpathia came sailing up, began to pick their lifeboats, and rescued the survivors. The next morning, we learned the awful truth. The unsinkable ship, the Titanic of all ships, is down. 705 people have been saved from the waters, meaning that 1,502 people lost their lives in those icy waters. That afternoon, the White Star Line posted a pier on the harbor in New York Harbor, listing the left-hand columns the names of the 705 survivors, listing the right-hand columns the names of 1,502 people who had lost their lives. Four years later, 1916, there was a reunion of the Titanic survivors. George Cavell showed up and gave his testimony. That's how we know much of what happened on the Titanic with John Harper. Nana, now an orphan, was raised by John's sister, her aunt. And in time, when she was old enough, she married a, a preacher and spent the rest of her life helping that preacher share the gospel. In 1986, she went to be with the Lord and re- was reunited with her mom and with her dad. Well, let me ask you a question. Why would a man like John Harper deliberately choose to stay on the Titanic, knowing that in doing so, he would forfeit his life? Why did John do that? There was one reason. John knew he was surrounded by people who were about to die without Jesus. John knew that when a person dies unsaved, they are lost forever. And John Harper cared. When you're on the freeway tomorrow going to work, remind yourself of the fact. Most of the motorists I'm going to see today do not know the Lord. If they die without Jesus, they are lost forever. You walk into Walmart, you walk down the center aisle, hey, folks, clear out. And uh, There's always too many people at Walmart. Most of those people at Walmart don't know the Lord. They're not saved. And the question is this, what can you do? to share the gospel with others. Number one, say it with me. Witness to others. Say it again. Witness to others. How many of you have been saved long enough, you know enough about Scripture to lead somebody else to the Lord? It's actually a very simple matter, isn't it? Just telling your story, telling what Jesus did for you. And remember, remind yourself of this. When, I, when I'm working with other people that don't know the gospel, if they die without Jesus, they are lost forever. And by the way, let me say this. Almost any person here, and probably every person here tonight, could do an effective job of being a witness. There's nobody too young. There's nobody too old. One of the best soul winners I ever knew in my life was a third-grade girl named Jessica Ryburn. She's in my, in my junior church. And every few weeks, she'd be bringing a friend to church. Brother Ed, this is Amy. Amy moved to my neighborhood this week. We're neighbors now. And Amy got saved yesterday. And I said, Amy, how'd you get saved? And the answer was always the same. Jessica showed me how. That eight-year-old girl went person after person after person after person. If she wanted to witness to somebody and there was a teenager or an adult, she didn't think you'd listen to her. So she'd give you a gospel track. But if you were a kid, I mean, she'd tell you to in person. She had a passion to see people get saved. I mentioned how my wife, after she got saved, Roman Catholic, she got saved. And she began to set out to win her family. She won her dad. She won her mom. She won her four sisters. She won her two brothers. Plus counting other people I don't even know about. But I mean, she went person after person after person. Because when she got saved, she really got saved. She enjoys her salvation. I mean, she, she wants to share it with somebody else. So number one, we can do it. Say it with me, witness to others. Number two, say it with me, pray for others. The neighbor across the street who cusses you wants nothing to do with you. You can pray for that guy, can't you? And prayer can be so very, very effective if we practice it. Then number three, say it with me, give out tracts. How many know what a gospel tract is? We all do. A piece of paper, sometimes they're folded. I don't have a gospel tract. I'll use my key card here. Um, do you know who the best track passers are? Kids. Can I show you why? Let's say we're in front of Walmart. There's a grouchy man in front of Walmart. Pastor, would you come be the grouchy man for me, please, if you would? I'm just going by personality here, you know. Now, he said, whoa, he's ready for me. 
He's sitting right here in front of the front doors of Walmart. He's having a bad day, and I'm going to try to offer him a gospel track, but this hasn't been rehearsed. But notice how rude this is to me. Excuse me, sir. Can you give us something to read, perhaps? Would you like something to read, sir? Maybe later on we have a chance. If you... you know what I need? I need a kid. Is there a kid here who would like to help me out? Would you like to be the kid? Come give this man a grouch, the Groucho Manic draft, okay? Just walk up and say, here, read this, or sir, can I give you this? I think he'll probably be nice to you. Go for it. Notice how nice he is to him. Hey, little buddy, thank you. Wait, freeze. Why did he take a track from this man when he wouldn't take one from me? Because he's a kid. There's a people at Walmart that might, take, not, might not take a track from your mom, but take one for you because you're a kid. There's neighbors in your neighborhood. Maybe the guy across the street may not take a track from your dad. They'll take one from you because you're a kid. There are people right here in your town that will not take a track from your pastor. They'll take one from the kids. I'm saying this, the best track pastor in the world are kids. Give them both a hand. Thank you. And I better have the kids. I'll get back in. I'm going to keep this track. And here's the third thing. Actually, a fourth thing we do to share the gospel. Sit with me is to invite friends to church. Now, again, who are the best inviters? The kids. Years ago, I had a bus route in Phoenix, Arizona. One Saturday afternoon, I was visiting my bus route, and something awesome happened. A hang glider came off the mountain and started soaring and circled right over the neighborhood where I was visiting. So for a few minutes, I just dumped my bus route, forgot my bus route. I'm standing in the street corner watching this guy and thinking, man, what I'd love to be up there with that dude. Wow, 600 feet in the air, and he's just circling and circling. I'm standing there, not even moving, just watching, and roller skate wheels came and stopped right beside me. I looked down. Here's this little girl, probably seven years old. She's almost touching me, literally. She's like an inch from me. I don't even know her. And I said, isn't that awesome? She said, he's flying like a bird. I said, would you like to do that? She said, oh, yeah. We're having this conversation, watching the, watching the bird man, okay? I said, you guys go to church? She said, no. I said, where do you live? She said, right there. And she points to a house probably 150 feet away. I said, good, let me talk to your mom. Well, I go toward the house, and I'm, I walk up the steps, and I, I, I walk quickly, but she takes off a roller skate, so she beat me to the house. I walk up the steps, and as I walk up the steps, the door open. This lady steps out on the porch. I said, ma'am, I'm from Alice Avenue Baptist Church, and, and your, your daughter told me you guys don't go to church anywhere. Can she ride my bus? We have a bus come through here tomorrow morning, and we pick up kids, take them to Sunday school and church, and teach them about the Lord Jesus. Can she ride my bus tomorrow? Well, this real stern look appeared on her face. She said, well, sir, what about her two sisters? I said, well, yeah, yeah, they can come too. I thought she was chewing me out for something. I said, listen, the bus will come by here tomorrow morning. We'll stop right here in front of your house, probably 9.25, maybe 9.30. We'll bring the girls back after church. We'll stop again right here in front of your house, and the bus will never pull away until the girls are safe in the house. We'll be by in the afternoon probably, you know, 12.30, 12.35. Hey, thanks for saying yes. See you tomorrow. <laughs> I did not know what had just started. I pulled in the neighborhood the next morning, pulled up in front of the house, Forget the adult work across the street. You know, they, they just cross the street by themselves already. They got on the bus and they had a question. Can we bring friends? Pretty cool, huh? They've not even been to a church and I always want to, want to bring friends. I said, sure, bring all the friends you want. They said, we have friends ready right now. Can you go get them? I said, oh, brother. I said, well, yeah, show me where. And they said, just a couple blocks. Now, the first, the first family, they were named Lambert. And there was probably a first grader and a, th- a third grader and a fifth grader. They took us over a few blocks and there's another ha- house. And the, the kids there are named Lance. And there's like a first grader and a third grader and a fifth grader. And as far as I know, those six girls heard the gospel for the first time that Sunday. We dropped them off in the afternoon at Lambert's first. Hey, see you next Sunday. See you next Sunday. Dropped them off the three Lance girls. Hey, see you next Sunday. And as the older one was going down the bus step, she turned around and flipped up her hands like this. She said, can we bring friends? I made the mistake of saying, sure, bring all the friends you want. I did not know what was going to happen. 
Pulled in the neighborhood the next morning, pulled up in front of the, or the next week, pulled up in front of the Lambert's house. They came running out. They're ready to go. Pulled up in front of the Lance house. They're ready to go. But they had like five friends waiting with them. Next Sunday was nine. Next Sunday was 16. Next Sunday was 22. Then 37. Then 41. Then 49. Then 58. Then 62. It was a nice neighborhood, middle-class neighborhood. But within just a few weeks, because of the two girls working together, two families of girls, we had dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of the kids come from the neighborhood. One man approached me, a man I did not even know. He said, as far as we know, in our whole subdivision, there's only two families that are not sending their kids to your church. Can you imagine when those girls get to heaven? Oh, it's Jesus and rejoicing, being in each other's presence and being in the presence of our Lord. These six little girls are having a reunion. Folks, the best people in the world to pass out tracts, I believe with all my heart, are young people. There's nobody here tonight that's too young to serve God. There's nobody here tonight that's too old to serve God. I'm saying this, God uses ordinary people like you and like me, and there's no greater joy than serving the living God and seeing Him use you to see somebody else get saved. The best thing you can do in your entire life is to help somebody get saved. John Harper, what an what a example he was for us. You can imagine the reunion he had when he actually got to heaven, and then reunion later on when the girls, when his daughter got to heaven. But if you want a soul to Jesus, one day soon you'll have the reunion. Be in the presence of your Lord and meet that person that God used you to see saved. Give your life to him. It's well worth it. Serving God is like nothing else. Would you bow in prayer, if you would, please bow your head. I'm going to ask your pastor to come and take our service, if you would, please, preacher. Oh, praise the Lord. What a wonderful, sweet challenge. If this group right here tonight, each of us would, every day, yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, and say, God, you put somebody in my path, I'm going to speak up for you. God, the folks you put in my path, I'm going to give them a gospel witness. I'll hand them a track. If this group right here tonight would say, God, I will yield myself to be used by thee to be a witness for Christ. Imagine what could be done for the cause of Christ. My dear friend, listen. The Bible says, Daniel 12, 9, those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. In heaven, you'll recognize those who are a witness for Christ on this earth. While our heads are bowed tonight, my challenge to you is this. Our heads are bowed. I want to ask you just between you and the Lord right now. If you're born again, if you're saved, ask God to fill you with His Spirit right now. Ask Him to give you boldness to speak up for Him. Tell Him right now, Lord, put folks in my path, and I'm going to speak up for you. You say, Pastor, that scares me out of my mind. Hand Him a piece of paper. Say, I'd like to give this to you, please. Everybody in this room could do that. Children, the message was for all of us. Imagine what God could do with this army of children in this church. Saying, God, put people in my path. Help me to be a witness. Wouldn't it be a great thing if we emptied out the track racks every single service? If we walked out with a fistful and a heart for people and for souls and a consciousness of souls and didn't just busy through our life but went out and everywhere we went looking for those that we could share Christ with. 
How many of you honestly before God, our heads are about eyes are closed, and you say, Pastor, I was convicted tonight. I want to be a better witness for Christ. I want to be bold for Him. I don't want to walk past people and see them one day at the judgment seat, at the great white throne judgment, and know that I walked by them in the store somewhere and didn't even think to speak to them. I want to be a better witness for Christ. Is that your desire? Just lift your hand up for a moment. You say, I want to be all over the room. God bless you. Thank you. Why don't we empty out our seats tonight and come and ask God to fill us with His Holy Spirit and give us His power and His boldness to be a witness for Christ.